Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner. This is episode one of season four. Throughout the course of this season, we'll work through 128 films and eventually crown our favourite crime movie. We'll go through seven genres in our preliminary round, with each matchup being a chance for that film to earn its place in the final bracket. The matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street versus 2019's Joker. Keenan, dare I ask how you're doing today? No, we'll just skip that part. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, this uh, chirps things up a little. Um, this is from our drama section of uh, the bracket. Well, not even a bracket yet. Our drama section of uh, the, the crime films. So, two big films to kick off the season. Mm, yeah, definitely. Usually, we have an upset on on the opening night when you look at Avatar beat, uh, going out to True Romance. You look at um, Sex Drive beating Bruce Almighty. I'm not sure what will happen today. I don't think there's, in terms of budgeting things, that much of a difference, although one no. film probably does feel bigger. Yeah, they're both they're both pretty big, mate. To be honest. Yeah, I think. Well, Joker, you'd probably say less, less high profile, but I mean, it, it made a billion. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think they. I mean, I know one's a lot older than the other, but I'd say the mystique and the hype surrounding Joker was probably bigger. The Wolf of Wall Street, I just seemed to drop. I never, I might be because we were sort of younger, but I don't remember anyone saying, oh, I need to sit and you need to see. No, like, oh, I, can't, I can't wait to watch this. And then as soon as people started seeing it, it was like everywhere. It was like, it's the greatest, the greatest thing ever. I remember being excited, but yeah, I'm not too sure. I think there was one trailer that seemed to really reel people in. But yeah, I remember it being a specific thing of like going to the cinema to see it and just being blown away. But we'll get into that. We'll start with A Wolf of Wall Street. Um, the synopsis. Based on the true story of Jordan Belfort, from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption and the federal government. Um, critics' reviews, uh, would you assume these are going one way? They'll moan about some of the stuff in it, but they'll just say yeah, it's a great film. So, at three hours, it's almost as excessive as Belfort's $26,000 dinners. It feels a bit long. But like the spoiled brats it portrays, it will not and cannot be ignored. Martin Scorsese roars back to the screen with The Wolf of Wall Street, a three-hour marathon stuffed with dark humour, gross-out gags, a fistful of quaaludes, and one awesome performance by Leonardo DiCaprio. From an hour of the repetitive smut and insert a cohesive thesis for DiCaprio's performance to rel- and insert a cohesive thesis for DiCaprio's performance to rely on. And maybe this would have earned oh, my laptop care. Uh, all the maybe this would have earned all the praise it has received. Terence Winter, creator and writer of The Sopranos, has written a marvelously comedic script with howlingly funny bits of dialogue, 
perhaps it's most can't speak today but perhaps its most magnificent accent is the delightful DiCaprio in perhaps his best union yet with Scorsese two more largely similar um, DiCaprio and Jonah Hill make an oddly perfect on-screen duo as their dryly humorous performances throw contrast to the film's real comedic bread and butter all of the eccentricities flying around them and it's another variation on Scorsese's favorite kind of story the rise and fall in this case he and frequent collaborator Leonardo DiCaprio go on a full-out cinematic bender. So, yeah, largely uh, Leo and Scorsese, just money in the eyes of almost everyone. Um, there were some reviews I, I chose not to go down that route because I had literally just been singling out them for the sake of it. There's some that are complaining, like, the, the film Sexist. I mean, I spoke to you before. That literally is the point that Belfort is a fuck. It's just an actual pig. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's hard to base it on a. Well, I suppose it's not, but it's to base it on a true story and keep it to real to the life events. If the bloke's a dick, then yeah, that's the way it's got to go. Yeah, you sense they've done him a favour casting Leo in the, in the role. I mean, no yeah. matter how he's portrayed, if your your biopic and Leo is playing you, it's hard not to take that as a compliment. I'd imagine. Yeah, fair point. I don't know. I don't. There's no one I really want to dig out enough to say that they should have betrayed him because he is just like Jordan Belfort. Yeah. Like, he's, ju- <laughs> yeah. he's, he's just a cock. He has there. There's like even now. Do you see when he pops up on Twitter and he's just chatting? Yeah, riles me every time. Yeah, I, he, the one where he talks about the just in, the one. Sorry, it's when I always you know you've got to work harder and work harder. You've got to work harder than everyone else. You were literally committing crimes for fucking years, you prick. It's not yeah. working hard. That's not working harder. You were just cheating a system. Like there are people. I've out got there a bit like, on that. To be fair, um, he's just. I, I read. I read the book. To be honest. I said this to you. Yeah, like, I can't I remember. I'm positive. I read the book after the film came out. Because I'm pretty sure the copy of the book that I bought has the photo of Leo on it. But I think <laughs> I read still because I was quite. I was probably. This had been out a year before I watched it. Why? Yeah. No, because I, I started listening to it. Um, through speakers during the first lockdown when I was working from home. But yeah. my nephew would be around a lot and it wasn't really the kind of book that I could have playing out um, yeah. on those uh, easily influenced ears. So no, that's to, uh, give it a miss. Who was narrating then, the book? I can't think who it was. It, it's someone that sounds quite similar to him. Um, but the, the thing that kind of took me out of it is whenever someone else speaks, like the narrator was trying to do accents, and it, it, it was yeah, a bit much. I suppose he didn't fucking do it himself. I think he he does um, the the intro, and then it goes to someone else. Hmm. Um, there is a lot of trivia, as you can imagine, for this film. Some you'll find more interesting than others, and I cropped uh, essentially anything I thought was just useless, but right to one of the most iconic scenes in the film and that's uh, Matthew McConaughey's part so his scenes were shot on the second week of filming um, the chest beating and humming performed by him were actually improvised um, it's something he does to warm up before he starts acting um, just to make sure his voice is in order and kind of get him in his own uh, Leo saw him doing it and so that that brief shot and I noticed it this time watching where it's like he's looking to the camera or he's certainly looking away awkwardly as he would be in that situation. 
that that's real. That's him looking out to Scorsese kind of for approval that keep this in, keep keep rolling. Um, DiCaprio encouraged them to include it in their scene, and uh, he said it set the tone for the rest of the film because they just felt that everything that was happening, whether it was in front of the camera or behind it, was just gold right from the get-go. And if you think McConaughey looks thinner than usual, he'd actually just come from filming Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. that's yeah, why he looks a, a little trim. Yeah, he's good little spe- He's in a good little spell at yeah, this point, sure. actually. He's uh, not so far off. He's not too far away from getting into Interstellar. No, so that's 2014, I believe. So he's got Wolf of Wall Street and Dallas Buyers Club 2013, and then that 2014. So, yeah, he's killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Belfort's real-life business partner was actually named Danny Porush, not Donny Azoff. Um, he threatened to sue Paramount if he was depicted in the film with his name, which is why they had to amend it. The actors snorted crushed vitamin B tablets for scenes that involve cocaine. Uh, Jonah Hill claimed that he eventually became sick with bronchitis after inhaling so much and he, and he was hospitalised. Yeah, it's true. So uh, what you have to do, I guess... Uh, another little fact. dynamite film. Another little fact. I don't know if it's in your trivia, but do you know Jonah Hill took the minimum Screen Actors Guild payment for this film? That's the, that was my next piece. $60,000, which isn't a bad minimum pay, to be fair, is it? Mate, are you... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's someone like, I'd do a lot for sixty grand. Yeah. <laughs> like, for those listening, and if anyone's, I think we've referenced this before, but for anyone listening who maybe likes me, thinks I'm quite charming on the pod, wants to offer me sixty grand in exchange for X, I'm open to pro- <laughs> yeah. I'm open to any offers. I'm not saying I'll say yes, but I will do an awful lot for sixty grand. But if you join a row, what do you think? He made millions. He would, they would pay. Yeah. He, yeah. He's big. He's big time at this point. Do you know if he got anything on the back end? No, I don't. I don't think so. Or at least when I heard him give it, he was just like, "Yeah, it's my." Basically, he's just like, "Yeah, it's Martin Scorsese." I wasn't going to say no. As much as you feel like he should be compensated for it, in comparison, it's hard not to respect that because you imagine it's kind of like the footballer thing, isn't it? Where it's easy to say it's not all about money when you're not in those shoes, but he's got in the game and he seems like someone that respects kind of the whole art you look at him doing his directorial mm-hmm. things now you imagine as a young actor working with Scorsese in a legit role not like just being like yeah, a yeah. side piece yeah that's like bucket list stuff yeah that's pretty much what he says mate but you're right about like the footballer thing at the end of the day he knows at this point he knows what he's worth yeah like he's got I guarantee he's turning films down Maybe not on the basis of money, or a combination of things, but I'm sure money plays a part of it. So if if he knows, well, I'd probably get four mil for this. I, I don't know what the figure is. So I'd be honest, you're no. picking around. He's call it a four mil, and he's like, yeah, probably this is probably what I'm worth for this role. The amount of time on screen, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what I've got to do. And he's like, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll drop out to sixty grand. That's yeah. it, j- just for the point of it. That is supposedly it is cool. after meeting with um, Scorsese. Uh, he had the role and then he insisted that he auditioned for the role first because he didn't ever want to feel even down the line that he hadn't earned it, that he was maybe getting it for his name or anything else to do with that. He wanted to make sure he was the right man before he committed to it. So he did everything right. I quite like him. Like, I know people say this and that about him, but I, I quite like him. You know? No, he seems a great guy when you see like 
he just seems like the fame seems almost like a hindrance to him when you see now. He yeah, I think it is. Acting, get out. Yeah, I, I, I think it is in some ways. I, I mean, he had a rough time when he was younger, to be fair, for the Super Yeah, I think the weight thing, like, yeah, oh, he's made a fix in because like, half the films he's in there calling him a fat cunt and all, but yeah, like, it's fine when it's for a job, but it must be hard, like, people yeah. just dig- digging yeah. you, like. Like it, it's just like it's just random, like some random thing, and they like it must 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 be tough. Yeah. Um. So some some of this trivia, um, you can take a pinch of salt or whatever. So originally, Martin Scorsese offered Margot Robbie to appear wearing a bathrobe during the seduction scene between her and Leo. Uh, she refused and insisted on doing the scene fully nude, her first in her career. Um, according to her, the whole point of Naomi is that her body is her only form of currency in this world. She has to be naked. She's laying her cards on the table. Uh, she said she had three shots of tequila in succession before shooting the scene and told her parents that uh, it was actually just her face being kind of dubbed over with CGI and only told them after the film had been released. If you're Scorsese in that instance and the way that trivia is written, they make it seem like she's having to insist like he's really against it and she said no come on please you, you've got to let me do it this way i can't imagine it took too much convincing for margot robbie to appear nude in your film scorsese respectful guy one of the very best i'm sure he's absolute, respectful but uh, absolute that's, that's like someone offering you it's like them offering jonah hill and we'll give you an extra million and him saying no no don't worry about it but there, there's some things that you really don't need to insist upon that's probably one of them. Um, in an interview with Margot Robbie, she reveals that for the scene where Jordan and Naomi have sex for the first time in her apartment and a dog tries to jump up and bite him, they couldn't get the dog to jump up. And so they had to spread dog food and chicken livers all over Leo's feet and between his toes. Well, I actually think I'm out at that point. <laughs> like, I'll be honest, I fucking hate feet. I hate other people's feet. Don't really like my own, and just people touching my feet is I I I'd be out. I'd be he out was getting like day. upwards of twenty five mil for this. I don't care. Get rid of the dog. <laughs> Get me a new dog. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe fair. Um, I'm not saying like euthanize the one we've got. But I'm just saying I'm sure there's no. another dog in in <laughs> Hollywood that they could that they could bring in. Uh, Margot Robbie claimed that her sex scene with Leo on a bed full of cash was extremely uncomfortable as the fake paper bills had sharp edges resulting in multiple paper cuts to her back. Uh, when DiCaprio spoke about it, he said that they did hurt, but he didn't care. He was in bed naked with Margot Robbie, so the bills weren't really what he was focusing on. Great guy. <laughs> uh, very honest. Um, not quite not quite as not quite as good as Clooney just asking if no. he'd take Al, Mc, Al McPherson <laughs> away, but I like it. Um Margot Robbie said that most of the nursery scene was cut, and if it stayed in the original length, it would have been the most uncomfortable scene to watch in the whole film. I don't know what could have been added to that scene that makes it that much worse. I don't know. Maybe she just fully goes to town in herself. <laughs> For Sharon Stone. Mm. Um, okay, um, Martin Scorsese claimed that the sequence of Jordan attempting to get in his car while extremely impaired on lemons was improvised on the day of filming, and that it was Leo's idea to open the car door with his foot. Uh, DiCaprio strained his back during the scene and was only able to do it once. Getting Again, on, Leo. 
25 million he's getting for this. So hard to be too sympathetic. Getting old, he's past his prime. <clears throat> Have you ever seen that graph before where it's like, as his age goes up, the women he's with go, goes down. There's mm-hmm. just a, a clear curve. Yeah. Sensational. Um, Martin Scorsese said that there are real, uh, actual real-life stockbrokers on the set, some of whom had actually worked at the real Stratton Oakmont firm. Um, Jonah Hill had an audible lisp when he first put in the fake teeth to play Donnie. And to get rid of this, he spent over two hours on the phone cold calling random businesses and talking with... Just fucking speak to the people that are on set with you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you ruining some poor bloke's days trying to just work in a pizza shop or something? Like, the, I can't he's opening either with, like, this is Jonah Hill, by the way, I'm just practising. So you're guessing this without knowing what it is. Uh, he's probably, no, I mean, he's probably got to use certain words to get used to. I mean, you must say fucking this film. God yeah. knows how many times. He's probably got to get used to getting his mouth around that and stuff. So, well, what are you doing, ruining some bloke's face? Just, <laughs> you're on a set full of hundred of people. Just speak to one of them. Yeah. Clown. Um, during the kissing scene between Leo and Joanna Lumley, DiCaprio was so nervous that the scene required a reported 27 takes to get it right. I bet it did. Old nerves, right? Um, Jordan Belfort coached DiCaprio on his behaviour, especially instructing him in the various ways he'd reacted to the quaaludes he abused, as well as his dope-induced confrontation with Danny. Um, he is just a cock. Uh, I've got more for you. So the real Jordan Belfort supported the film's depiction of excess. His one objection was the film's implication that Stratton Oakmont never did any serious work. He argued that if they, if they couldn't have got away with their most corrupt practices for so long, unless they've been delivering on legitimate business most of the time. That is, that is actually true, though. Yeah. Well, there, there's no, there, is no, there is no other way. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't, don't doubt his intelligence and his ability to do it. He's just, he's just yeah. a pretty shit bloke. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you mentioned uh, the usage before. How many times do you estimate the word fuck is used in this film? Not a clue, mate. Like, actually, not a clue. 569 uh, as I said 25 million for Leo uh, a quarter of the film's budget and it made him the highest paid star of the year probably worth, well, it's worth every penny in the end doesn't it yeah. um, and the other we saw what Leo said about um, working with Margot Robbie the other end of that so in the uh, bachelor party scene before they get on the plane actress Maria D'Angelis who played one of the hookers I'm still having that on your IMDb, by the way. Just hook it. Um, she said that the actress paired with Leonardo DiCaprio had to be replaced because she was riding him too enthusiastically and realistically. Uh, she's quoted as saying, this girl was completely naked, sitting astride him while he was wearing a suit. She was very, how can I say, enthusiastic. Uh, it wasn't acting. They had to keep telling her, you can't just hump him. Uh, so she says she was all over him. So they said, you're, you're here because you're foreground. We're going to have to move you back and use someone else here. Um, in the scene, this actress was paired with PJ Byrne, um, who says he was the most naked of all people in the scene, wearing a thong made out of candy smarties with a sock over everything underneath. Needless to say, I think he felt very uncomfortable that he was very sweet. Meanwhile, the girl who was on top of Jonah Hill, she got really spanked. 
She can't have been method acting because she was complaining so much. She said, I've got broken blood vessels all over my ass. <laughs> Jonah just going to town. I mean, oh, I, he's got, unless he's, it was someone else that was spanking him. I, I don't know. I mean, they're paying him 60 grand. He's got to, uh, he's, he's got to get his <laughs> fucking work, but he's got to get his rocks off somewhere, hasn't he? Well, I can't imagine this woman was earning too much, so you might say it was to her detriment. Um, for the deposition scenes, the actors were merely instructed by Scorsese to avoid saying anything important or anything at all. Uh, they had complete freedom to improvise. Uh, the editor said that these scenes, some of them 20 minutes long, were just hysterical because of all the things they came up with. I know you like a good bit of improvisation. I do, however... If you if I'm ten minutes for a twenty minute scene and one of you fucks up trying to improv a line, I'm not impressed. <laughs> well, so apparently, the whole way through this film, um, Scorsese would almost be kind of annoyed if people were completely sticking to the script. He was telling them they can only make it better by imp- improvising, and he'll tell them if they're doing something wrong. So to just roll with it, and that's why you get so uh, well. Everyone seems so loose in this film, and I guess it it kind of flows so easily. Yeah, one of the greatest, though, isn't he? He knows what he's about. Yeah, yeah. An unexpected person to thank for the film's existence is Tommy Chong, one half of stoner comedy duo Cheech and Chong. Uh, Chong was serving a sentence in a Californian prison for selling drug paraphernalia online and was cellmates with Jordan Belfort, who was serving a 22-month sentence for stock fraud. Belfort told multiple stories from his days as a stockbroker and it was upon Chong's encouragement that he wrote his book, The Wolf of Wall Street. I imagine sat in a room with those two listening to the stories of Tommy <laughs> Chong in, in like 70s Hollywood and stuff, just doing absolute bits, and then Jordan Belfort do, doing his doing his work. I imagine that would be quite fun. Yeah, wouldn't mind being in a cell next to him. Um, unless he got a headache, maybe. I mean, I would, I mean, maybe not in jail. I had to listen to him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, the real Mark Hanna, who is portrayed by McConaughey, stated that he bought 25% of Jordan Belfort's business and worked with him for more than two years. Uh, this obviously wasn't depicted in the film. Don't think he went. Don't think he went to jail, Mark Hanna. Got out rather right time then. Mm. Um, the initial cut of the film ran approximately four hours. Um, Paramount originally intended to release the four-hour director's cut on DVD and Blu-ray, but changed its mind and just stuck with the theatrical release version. Do you think we'll see more as time goes on? Now you have things like the Snyder Cut, where we're just getting these extra long films, and they're essentially saying, "Look, if you want to watch it, watch it. If you don't, don't." Yeah, for films that make their money, they did. I mean, you're looking at what Leone's cut of um, Once Upon a Time in America. That's what four and a half hours long. That was yeah. That's that's from the seventies. So they 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 have done it. Um, It seems to be more. They're more clamour for it now. Yeah, I don't know, maybe, there's, maybe people have got less going on. Yeah, exactly, yeah, definitely. Um, Kenneth Choi gained nearly £25 for his role as Chester Ming. Um, we've said frequently, best part of the job it must be. Yeah, I mean, £25, so it's not even two stone. What's he, that's not noteworthy. I can do that, give me a couple of weeks. That's what I mean, but you're also being paid to do it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, when I'm when I'm reading about people banging on £60, like, almost yeah, five stone, yeah. then, I, then I'm like, oh, fair play, good go. Two stone. Right, it's just the 15th of September today. Come back to me in four weeks' time. I'll do that if you really yeah. want. Um, 
I don't know how many of the casting what ifs uh, you know, but I'll take you through it. Uh, Olivia Wilde auditioned for the role of Naomi, but was deemed too old to play Leo's wife, even <laughs> though he's actually 10 years older than her. Um, Amber Heard also auditioned for the role. Are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amber Heard could have been her over uh, Margot Robbie. I don't like it. Do you see, uh, see Johnny Depp won that settlement? I didn't know. See, I saw this today. Seven mil or something. You, I mean, the other actresses that were rumoured to be considered by Scorsese were Blake Lively and uh, Rosie Huntington Whiteley. So they definitely had a type. But of those, Amber Heard's probably the second best option. Forgetting just like to be this guy, forgetting for 30 seconds how all of them look. I would argue that Margot Robbie is by far and away the act, like actually the best actress. Yeah, well, Huntington Whiteley is essentially a model turned actress, is she not? Yes. Um, and her roles probably reflect that, with with all due respect. Um, Ouch. Well, I mean, Can't, look, she, bit, half bitch, her roles she doesn't even bitchy, talk. Like, bitchy, that's all I'll say. It's not. I mean, look at her role in Mad Max. No fucker I mean, speaks in that film. Yeah, <laughs> no, but there's a reason she was cast in it. <sighs> Shite. Um, um, Olivia Wilde, uh, Olivia Wilde, maybe. Blake is good as well. To be fair. I mean, the, I think Margot Robbie, just we've seen, is very good as time has gone on. Yeah. Mad to think that this if this is her breakout. Um, mm. Focus. But yeah, I, I think I think Amber Heard is is the next best bet there, and uh, I mean we've spoken enough about her previously for you to know our thoughts there. Yeah. Chris Evans and Joseph Gordon-Levitt both auditioned for the role of Donnie. I hate Gordon-Levitt in that part. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I just can't, I, I just can't picture it. For him in that instance, are they telling him like, you've got to gain like 200 pounds? <laughs> He's quite a like skinny, slight bloke. Yeah. Donnie doesn't work if he looks like that, surely. No. You can't be that good looking and be shagging your own cousin. <laughs> like, I think they, they as we could say for most of the film or almost all of the film they got the right guy there Chris yeah. and Gordon Levitt good actors but are either of them as funny as Jonah Hill no that's the other thing you know because Jonah Hill has he can do the sarcastic funny he can do the you laugh at him funny yeah Gordon Levitt is, he's essentially doing the it's, it's more it's, it's laugh with Gordon Levitt comedy, isn't it? You're very rarely. I, just, I, just, I can't. He, he actually just can't. I don't think he can do it. No, he's he's too much of a nice guy. Even when if he's playing a bad guy, Chris Evans, maybe. Now that I've seen Knives Out, I know it's completely different. Now I've seen Knives Out, maybe. I mean, also, if he takes this in 2013, don't know, don't know. probably changes a bit. Do you not think he's he's just too good looking to do this role? Yeah, there is that. Like, not even in a funny way. Like it just doesn't work. No, no, you're right. Yeah, he's a very, very good looking, very good looking bloke. Um, not much more trivia. So Ridley Scott was asked to direct this movie with Brad Pitt as Jordan Belfort. Is it just me? Ridley Scott seems the most bizarre director that you could choose for this. Yeah, I quite don't mind Brad Pitt as Jordan Belfort though. No, it just the Ridley Scott thing really threw me. It was 
I, I can't think what you'd have seen and said, I want him to direct this film. No, I don't know. But I suppose the argument is it's Ridley Scott. Yeah, but like everything that you kind of associate with his name is the complete opposite of this type of film. No, no, I agree. I agree. I don't I don't know if it works, but I think you you probably offer it to him on the basis that it's Ridley Scott. I mean if I'm gonna yeah. give a hundred if I'm gonna give a hundred mil to someone, there's a there's the more money I'm willing to give, the smaller the list of directors I'm willing yeah, to give it sure. to becomes, Johnny. So we did a, a podcast uh, last night. This will be out Friday, so it'll be a couple of days ago if we were doing this then. Um, and we were going through some of, you know, that blacklist we always reference of the, the best scripts of the year that have yet to be made. Yeah. Um, and some of the ones on there, and you look at them, and there was one about, like, Mexican gunslingers, and it was like, this is pretty much, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> Do you think with this screenplay how badly do you think you could get it wrong i i excuse me i think there's room for error is it, is it does it uh, just live or, live or die on who you cast as belfort a little bit but there's a lot going on in and around it like the, the supporting cast are important no matter how sort of big or small they are in it they are important there yeah. there, there is there are decisions that need oh, to be made absolutely. there could we always we have guys that we try to look out for when uh, when we do this podcast? Could Miles Teller do Jordan Belfort? No, you don't think? No, I think I think he's, he could. He's not pretty enough. I mean, uh, that's a, that, you put me in a position there because that's a weird one for me to debate with you. It would be no. like the end of that first Sex Drive episode where we're just going in on <laughs> Clark Duke. Yeah, he's, he, ain't, he, he ain't got that about him. You don't think he's got the charm? No, not even ask, close. Jason Bateman, maybe. think he can do it. not a bad shout, to be fair. I think I'll ask you after we do War Dogs and see if... I've seen the film war. before. Yeah, I know, but after it's fresh in your mind. He's like, he spends that film getting played by Jonah Hill. <laughs> a question I think I'll come back to at the end and something for you to think about. And I'm going to ask who you think is the kind of most unexpected choice that you think could work to play Belfort in this role. But we'll come, we've got plenty of time to come back to that, or maybe not so plenty of time. Um, the scene where Brad punches Donnie is real. In fact, John Burntow hit Jonah Hill so hard that the prosthetic teeth he was wearing split and flew out of his mouth. Scorsese then proceeded to film Hill's face swelling in real time. <laughs> Just getting that cheap shot. The cameras John, are still rolling. John Bernthal or Bernthal, um, however you pronounce it. Yeah, he he he's a guy who he just looks like he's about like every role he does that's similar to this. It's impossible not to completely buy in to it. Like, as the I, as the I Punisher, he's this guy. Yeah, as the as the Punisher, it's the one of the best roles I've seen. Yeah, uh, like he's just—he's unreal, like from start to finish. I can't wait to see him in this new Sopranos film because it just seems like something that he's just made for. Mm. Not sure how involved he'll be as the dad. No, I mean the the lead role in it is actually um, Chris Moltisanti's dad is the is yeah. the main character in this film, mm-hmm. which is played by the guy from Goals. So uh, that'll be interesting. Um, do you think? 
I could sport his facial hair in this film. No. Before I'd ask. I won't go for it then. You ain't got that jawline. No offense. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't either. You need that chiseled jawline. Um, Jonah Hill wore a prosthetic penis while masturbating at the party. The surprise reactions from the actors and extras are genuine as they didn't know this was going to happen. Imagine asking for that. <laughs> she's got an out to the prop department, all right, but she's got a dick lying around. I oh, know, God, just chuck it here. It'll be funny, this one. Graphy put in um, to get in the voice right. How much do you think he, he practiced tugging that before he filmed the scene to yeah, make sure he's, he's realistic? Yeah, he's probably been away at that for a while. Hopefully, rip, not, rip, hopefully not down the phone. Ripping the head off it, like. Uh, the final bit of trivia I have. So, although the real Jordan Belfort was supportive of the film and accepting of his negative portrayal, he disputed the film's depiction of the end of his second marriage. Although he admitted to having hit his wife during a fight, he claims that it happened earlier during the height of his drug addiction and that their breakup occurred without incident when he was clean and sober. I feel like there's never a good time to admit hitting your wife. Like uh, this, this seems like not the hill to, that I'd be dying on. No, there's never a, there's never a good time to punch your wife. Be honest. Like it's, it's, uh, it's never never a good time to do that. But yeah, I I get what you're saying. Like oh no no, it was the drugs. Yeah, like if of everything that's portrayed in this film, and as as we've gone over, it makes for a great film. But he's an asshole. Like if that if that's your biggest gripe. I yeah. think you've quite a lot's gone wrong for you. Yeah, you've done a lot wrong in life. If if, yeah. if, if not even the facts, like I get if he was disputing that he'd hit her, and he'd be like, yeah. no, no, I, I never did that. That's fine. I like I definitely die on that hill. Like yeah. no, I never did that. I'm not that. I'm not that guy. But he's, the fact he's like, yeah, I did. I I did it. It was just a, at a later you, you time. Got the timeline wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very odd. Um, a couple a couple of things to go through with regards to the film. Then, so first thing we always ask, do you do you like the film? Yep. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Do you remember the the feeling when you first watched it? Yeah, I loved it. Like, was just blown away by it. You used the word uh, phenomenon, I guess. With you saying you watched it late, did you we did you still have the chance to kind of instantly talk about it with everyone, or the moment passed? Because no. some of these films, when you see them. You've got to just let it out. Like you, you, you've got to talk about it for the next like three days. I think this is one of them where I, t- I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't really know what to, what to compare it to. But this is one of them where, if I were to watch it now, went into work or tomorrow, or rang you and was like, oh my god, man, I've never seen this before. I've just watched it. We would sit and have a conversation about yeah. it. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't think the moment passed for this for a very long time. I, I, t- I took some notes while watching and. I know that's kind of how we go through the film. We won't do a scene by scene of this because we really would be here till tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the, the way the film opens, I think you've, you've got the advert that they recreated for Stratton Oakmont essentially saying kind of what a great place it is. And mm-hmm. then they fade out into midget darts and the discussion of how they can be thrown. And what you can get them to do. It's, it's about as good of a settler as you can put in this film to just say this is what you're in for buckle up yeah fair well it's just golden to start then you've got the whole start mcconaughey comes in 
and I think it's the McConaughey moment, like they had while filming, where you you just know you're watching something special. Like McConaughey's not on the poster, you know he's not kind of a big part going in. And the way he, I mean, some would argue he's he's, he's as close to stealing the film as anyone after Leo. I've never got this. Like, I like I'm not the saying scene. it's my. I, view, I, I like the scene, the, but there are people who do actually think that, and I like I like the scene. I think it's great, and it is fun. But like, there's so much more that happens in this film than, than that. <laughs> when, if you did like a Family Fortunes equivalent, and you said the first scene that pops into your head when you think of Wolf of Wall Street, this would yeah. probably be like the golden answer. Correct. It'd be this, the, the Margot Robbie scene. Yeah, yeah. The Quaalude scene, and. Is there anything more? No, I There's think a lot probably more, be I top, like No, I think they'd be your top three. Their own. Yeah. Because each time you watch this, a different scene jumps out at you. Um, something I did have about the McConaughey scene, actually. So his, um, those are rookie numbers, quote. Um, imagine you actually had to tug your way through a work day, like to get through your work day. <laughs> <laughs> like this was a necessity. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> what a strange life you would be living. What a job, eh? Well, the fact he's so open about it as well. Imagine you just two o'clock in the afternoon, your colleagues see you getting up to go to the toilet. And they go so, hey, for his two o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've left left the left left the like, I've left left the magazine on the system for you. You'll be all right. <laughs> like what? What do you mean? You know, like it's a stressful job. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to do this. I need to do this. I've got to get through the day. Um, I mean, to be fair, if he um, if he had just stuck to doing that with instead of the drugs, might have turned out different. Well, McConaughey says that he's got the drugs as well. He's no, yeah, yeah, of course. He's got cocaine, alcohol, a crafty one or two actually, getting in yeah. through every day. Once before work, after he's worked out. Yeah, fair. That scene when he goes in and uh, he's selling his first penny stocks, and everyone's kind of slowly in the background. And one of the uh, critics' reviews, don't they, pointed out just how the real star of this film is actually everything that's going on behind the main characters. Yeah. Them slowly realizing what's going on and turning around and pulling their chair up is just so brilliant as that unfolds hmm. the, the 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 way they're marveling and getting drawn into every, every word that he says i think i guess they just do a, a, a great job don't they of building the background cast without having to spend an age on it you've got one scene in the diner where he says these are the guys that just know how to sell things basically yeah i gathered them up and you're in and that scene's great i've never paid too much attention to that scene before but him saying about everyone wants to get rich and the one guy questioning him, you've got John Burntell selling the pen back, just mm. the general confusion in there, just gold, just pure gold. For a three-hour film, I, I think it's the quickest three-hour film I've ever watched. Yeah, but that's just... It's just because just, it's just constant, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if if, if you were to compare how fast time was moving while you were watching this compared to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's, a, it's not even, they're not even of the same planet, mate. No, it would be. 
um, I don't. There's no even. There's no even a comparison I can think of. Um, I've got to have while I was watching it. Just a quote from Jonah Hill when he says, uh, "Yeah, I use the whole cousin thing as an in." It's very you, though, isn't it? Wow, you disgrace! <laughs> the amount of times you've, the amount of time you've tried to murder me on this pod, I saw an opportunity. I saw, I saw an in, and I took it. it his character. I will make this. I will make the argument now that he could be the best side character we've ever seen. Blimey, you're putting it. I'm at uh, your levels. Um, all right, maybe I've gone one step too far. Up there. You, yeah, Jen, no, Jenny, can you think of many better? No, no, I mean, if I know usually we, we would say, I don't know if you can have a helicopter by the way, right side of my window, it seems. Usually, if, if a character has this much screen time, we'd almost say they're not a side character, but this you've is got a three such hour a film. clear main character as well. Yeah. That anyone outside of it is a side character, no matter who you're picking. Yeah. Fair. Like, but um, unbelievable, mate. Like, can you hear that? It's so loud. No. It's, what's impressive, I think, is how over the top the character is, and yet it you never it. overpowers the scene. No. Somehow, because of all the other insanity that's going on, <laughs> it makes sense. TK asked the question when we interviewed David Dobkin when he said about um, Will Ferrell. And he's like, you got a character like this. Is it tough to just not overindulge it and just use almost like too much of him? And I guess this is why it's how Hadley Evans scores easy there because with what Jonah Hill was clearly willing to do here, yeah. it would have been so easy to just fill it with Donny just doing mad shit for three hours. Yeah, absolutely. Instead, they get the the, the balance just spot on. Um. That scene when he is having the tug at the party, um, I feel the PJ Burns character, Rugwa, you, you hear him say, Let him finish, Hildy, that's fucking rude. <laughs> what a gentleman, eh? Oh, just this, this film, it's just incredible. I don't know what else an odd for me to say that, but. Um, one of the quotes that stands out, and I think it's the highest voted one on IMDb, is um, after Belfort has just slept with uh, Naomi for the first time, and he says, uh, I fucked her brains out uh, for a whole 11 seconds. <laughs> now, the question for you here, not the obvious one of uh, beating the 11 seconds, Yeah. do you think you last longer in his situation there or in Apocalypto running away from that Black Panther because I do seem to recall either you or Sean backed yourself to get away. It wasn't fucking me, was it? <laughs> That's what, in my head, it, I couldn't remember if it was you telling Sean how ridiculous he was being or Sean kind of setting you uh, borders of where you had to get away from. No, no, we did. We talked about my head start and what I'd want. And <laughs> Sean, Sean giving me credit, giving me too much credit, <laughs> saying, no, no, you're asking for too much for head start. Um, which, which situation do you think you last longer in? Somehow, probably getting away from the panther. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. I mean, even through a screen, I'm not going to lie about prowess. Like, I... <laughs> 
if Leo's struggling there, uh, I mean, I think we're all bang in trouble. Yeah. Also, the amount of drugs the bloke was on, surely he's got a bluey somewhere he could have just taken. <laughs> just yeah. Um, yeah, he says, what? Well, I mean, he makes out he's taken a while. He, he gives himself about 30 seconds and he's back on the wagon. Um, so she's patient with him as well. Um, a couple of things I had down here, and that's just the outfits of Belfort throughout the film. I mean, I pointed out that when he's on his cruise, I mean, I've got the exact same polo shirt, and I don't look anything half like Leo stood on his yacht um, in this with his shades on. But, I'm not sure. I don't really want to be the one to break it to you, but I'm, I don't don't know if that's the polo, mate. That's what I'm pointing out. Um, no, I know. I'm just making the point, just in case you weren't sure. It, no, I don't, think, I don't think it's that specific polo, shall, shall I say. No, but there is a point in this, um, and I'll, I'll use... Uh, self-depreciation here to, to make my point when the scene where he takes the lebens mm. i wrote down he, he's on the sofa and he's wearing some gray joggers some white night cortezes a white t-shirt and a denim shirt he somehow looks a million dollars in that compared to how 99 percent of people would look in a tux mm-hmm. jordan belfort himself that's the power of the man Basically, Jordan Belfort himself is the luckiest man. I mean, it may be a disappointment when people then do see him, but I mean, they've done him huge favours. I said it already, but just seeing him in that scene, it makes no sense. If I put that outfit on, I, I would look like I'd just fallen into my wardrobe and just picked out the first four or five things. It's it's, it's infuriating. It really is. Some guys have all the luck. Yeah, he's the guy of it. All of it, quite literally, all of it. Um, other things I have done. <laughs> uh, I have a question for you here. Um, if McConaughey offers you a Tutski as he offers Belfort, uh, you surely have to take it. Not that guy. It's McConaughey, and he's offering <laughs> you a Tutski. I'm not that guy. <laughs> um. I'll make my own assumptions there. I mean, I think the <laughs> Queen herself, if McConaughey's offering her a Tutski, she's saying this is Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> or somehow I don't think Liz is going, yeah, rack them up for us then, Matt. No, I think she is. <laughs> you, like, you got looking... Matt, you got, Matt, you got a 20 on you. I'm brushing it. <laughs> so, so... He's, he's, he's offering her a Tutski here. Like, this is like... Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I somehow don't think so. I think you've, I think you've stepped one there. Get, 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 the, get the Amex out then, Matt. Come on, we'll see you in the toilet. <laughs> She's been off at the table. A touchscreen. Uh, uh, rack them up like. I might just start referring to just everyday things as touchskis. Like someone's trying to take sound... out the fridge if you want one. It, I don't like it coming out of your mouth. I've got to be honest. <laughs> well, touchscreen. Yeah. Sounds a little Sorry. too like tootsies. Um Another question I had down for you: Have you ever been as incapacitated as Belfort after the Ludes? Yeah, but not. Not due to them. No. Uh, yeah, I once drank two Tough bottles. Game of Chang roulette. No, I once drank two bottles of wine through a pre-drink, walked outside, and just fell over and just couldn't get back up. <laughs> I just was on the floor, like <laughs> spinning around, like 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 almost like shuffling around on my ass, trying to get back up, and just couldn't. It just meant my legs were just gone. Um, did that for about five minutes with people watching me, and I was like, yeah, just go. I'm, I'm done out. Here. <laughs> there is a weird thing where. I- you're most drunk you do have an oddly coherent thought where you do just know 
I'm bang in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that, <laughs> that was that was one of them. I knew I'm done. I uh, sort of black weirdest one of the weirdest evenings of my life. To tell you, two bottles of wine, just necked them, drank. One of the lads had a load of vodka and we were drinking that. What felt fine, felt fine. Walked outside, was not fine. <laughs> was gone, right? Legs didn't work. Just like go, just leave me, just go. I'm done here. I'll get up. I'll go back to bed. Um, not sure how long I was on the floor for. First up, a physical representation of what fresh air is like in a moment like that would be that black smoke that was in the first season of Lost that was the never point most it. people seem to turn off. But just yeah, a black cloud, it. effectively, is when you walk out, would sum up I, I can give about you to attack you. I can give you a visual representation. I don't know who who it is, but someone there's a there's a video where Chris Sutton's or comments uh, doing the punditry for a Scottish League, a Scottish Premier League game, and someone just comes out behind him and just fucking wipes him out, and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> right, that's exactly what it is. He somewhere just wipes him out, and his legs, le- both legs are above his head, and he is just gone. That's what it was like, mate. I got up. Don't know how long I was on the floor for. First start, I somehow blacked out whilst being awake. Right. Yeah. So I have very limited memories of yeah, I know the, ones. the evening, right? I remember being in, I was in, I was abroad. I ended up in a gaming cafe that was just full of, like, just full of people playing these weird fucking games, right? Basically, they had a bar in there and I was just having a beer. Ended up just wandering the streets on my own, fucking no idea where I was going. Ended up in this place, got a phone call off one of the boys and suddenly it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I was just like, what the fuck? It turns out I was like, I had managed to make it like 10 minutes from where, where I was living at the time. And I was like, all oh, right. Yeah, I know exactly where I am. I'll be home in 10. All's well, that ends well. Yeah. I've been like a homing pigeon, to be honest. I've always managed to touch wood. But today, I've always managed to get home. If, if, we, have a, if we have a look at the categories, so um, when, we, when we've been doing this, and we're going to have a slightly tweaked different scorecard for each one. Not hugely different, because ultimately... There's only so many things that you can compare with the films. But basically, for each different subgenre, we'll have two different categories for each. Uh, if you remember the score categories for the last season, we'll be taking out visual appeal and most difficult adventure, and they'll be taken for something uh, more fitting. So, I mean, for crime comedy, last per minute would be an example. For heist, um, who got away with more gangster film, maybe like the most powerful Don, something like that. For this uh, drama, we've got better character development and most dramatic scene to go through. Mm-hmm. If we do just the early categories like we've done uh, with previous podcasts, and then we'll come back and do the judging as a whole at the end and maybe compare some of the others. Um, rewatchability, I often say it's hard to say a three hour film is rewatchable. This is where do you probably, stand on this? <laughs> it's as close to. Like, it needs to have three hours, is obviously the, the obvious yeah, issue. Yeah. But this is a, there are there are a list of three hour films that I think are rewatchable. And in this, fact, I think about five of them are in this bracket actually. Yeah, and this um, is one of them. This is this probably this is one of them. Yeah, I could watch this. Uh, one. Yeah. Um, is there a moment slash scene? I mean, whatever some that, that stands out to you as the best. No, no. Not really. I got ones that I like, um, ones ones that I, that I do particularly enjoy. I really like the scene on the boat with the FBI agent. Yeah, yeah I always, that that, always, always have. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, the Quaden scene is funny and, and stuff. Go. On. 
we're going to do the character development. One of the main criticisms of this film is people say that that there's no real consequence shown on camera. It doesn't ever really feel like Jordan Belfort is made to atone for the things that he's done in a way that other kind of house of cards things happen. I mean, um, something, something like Scarface. I mean, you very clearly see him at the top and then face down. It's mm. that cut and dry. Do you think they handle it well enough in this, by not by comparison, but by comparison to other films of the genre where you would see this kind of development where you're supposed to see them at the top and then come crashing down? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, I was going to say character development. There isn't actually there. There isn't any. He starts off as a prick. He finishes the film as a prick. If you want to make the argument that he becomes a bigger prick throughout, I won't say no. Well, he's supposed to be a fairly standard family guy at the start, isn't he? Where he has the moments where... Mate, as soon as he, he gets some money, he pisses his missus off. So, yeah, that's. but he doesn't start like that. So there is some development, but some would say that's literally the only development there is, and that's... But even that's not... At the, it's at the start of the film. It's not as though the opening... It's not the no, opening no, of the film, no. do you know what I mean? So you've already seen he's an arsehole. Before then, it's just oh, yeah, okay. this was a time he was a little bit less of an asshole, yeah, and then we're yeah. then we're back to it. Um, and in terms of the consequences, I mean, I, I I don't know the answer, but as he's everywhere these days, I imagine Jordan Balfour's still doing pretty well for himself. He's doing his, he's doing the actual seminars that he has in in the show in the in the film. He's also gone out of an absolute world. He's got the gift of the gab, hasn't he? That's like. Like, That's not just, gonna go away. Just, just, just clicked on him. Like, just clicked him on Google, and I've just seen his misses. Like, there's no consequences for him. So he's somehow he's just done so it. So you now. think they got it spot on? Yeah. You, it, it wouldn't be a, a point of contempt for you when it comes to the film. No, like, they, like again, I don't know what. I, I presume he has less money than he than he did, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you think? Well, it it. Does it add anything to the film for you? Say they do a prison scene. I think if they do that, the fact that it would be such a limited part of the film means it would trivialise it more. I think they're better off with how they do it. You're, you're right. Uh, the, the first 1st of September, he's still talking about this film, the Lambo scene. So he's still he's still dining out on this. And I don't get him. He posts photo, he's just posts photos of him when he's on Quaaludes as well on his Twitter and stuff. But, he's, you know? His prison scene in this is him playing tennis, isn't it? That's the grand total of it in him saying, I don't know why yeah. I was so worried about this. I'm rich. Like, there's, yeah. prison's no issue for me. He's got so, a cameo. Yeah, he has, yeah. Um, I, I don't feel good about putting him in the Rex Ryan. I don't know about you. I don't want to. No, I, I think... Um, well, Mainly just because I hate him. Yeah, I, some of it, some of it, I won't lie, is un, unadulterated jealousy. Yeah, I mean, it's not a great look for him after we we did have Michael Jordan's cardboard cutout from Home Alone uh, that we inducted. I'd rather speak to the cardboard cutout. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, if we come back to the other ones and we go on to our second film of uh, the evening, one that you hadn't seen before, and uh, we'll get into that, of course. So. Joker is the second film of the day. 
Uh, in Gotham City, mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck is disregarded and mistreated by society. He then embarks on a downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime. This path brings him face to face with his alter ego, the Joker. What do you think the critics are going to say about this? Not a clue. I feel like they will have liked it. Ultimately, Joker is neither deserving of the controversy it stirred up, nor some of the praise it's received. Phoenix's mm. performance is the highlight of what is ultimately a relatively tame film. Yeah, um, I actually really will uh, we'll, we'll come to Yeah. An instant classic that sees Joaquin Phoenix translate a discombobulating sensation from the screen to your senses, while director Todd Phillips create a me- creates a melancholic psychodrama. Well, there's more for that, that's it. Um, Phoenix gives the performance of the year, one already filled with admirable transformative performances, but this one is different. This one is his cry for Oscar gold, and the masses will surely be chanting his name and singing his praises on high. This is an R-rated origin story for one of the most deranged, murderous villains in fiction, and the film reflects that. It may not make you feel good, but it will make you feel something, and sometimes that's enough. Finally, while drawing heavy influence from previous Scorsese movies, Joker boasts a great performance from Phoenix and shows that darker comic book films continue to have a place in a family-orientated realm. I, I think before we get into the trivia, I, I, want, I wanted your thoughts on this um, since we were going to do the film. There's been a lot of criticism that this is a rip-off of Taxi Driver. David Fincher says it's a rip-off of Fight Club. No, I don't buy the Fight Club one, but carry on. How do you feel about the Taxi Driver one? I get it. So, I asked TK about this when um, I was looking at the trivia, and if I find... Although any film, I mean, Taxi Driver being Taxi Driver, any film about a dangerous, about a loner, things go wrong, he turns to murder, people are, it's like Taxi Driver, so, you know. So, that, without me finding the messages is pretty much what he said. Um, I get it, and they, they are right, but again, it's like any any film you make about gangsters, people are, oh, it's trying to be, about a, a mafia family, oh, it's trying to be the, the godfather. He no, said, it's, it's not that I can't see their point, but in that case, you can just never make a film about a psychologically messed up bloke. Who turns to murder. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, again, yeah, it is it is very true. So, Fincher came out and he said, I think I might have his quote here. I think the point he's going to make is about the, the so fantasy. Fa- it'll, be, it'll be about the fantasy one where he imagines that he imagines that the birds are with him, et cetera, et cetera. It'll be that sort of thing. You would. I'll um, give you what he said. He said um, he disliked the film, criticising it as another corporate Hollywood franchise film that steals from other works. On the film, Fincher said, I don't think anyone would have looked at that material and thought, yeah, let's take Travis Bickle and Rupert Pupkin and conflate them, then trap him in a betrayal of the mentally ill and trot it out for a billion dollars. He said, the reality of our current situation is that the five major studios don't want to make anything they can't make from a billion dollars. None of them want to be in that medium-priced, challenging content business, and that cleaves off exactly the kind of movies I make. So it sounds like a mixture of what you said about Avengers and him being quite bitter that his niche that, that is no one's willing to give him. Yeah, no. Well, it's not that. It's a, 
no one's willing to pay give him a give, give him control of a film that makes is going to make a billion dollars is what it sounds like but he is right like i said this weeks ago um yeah they they aren't willing to which is although there was a time there are times been times like this before in hollywood and the previous times that happened both times started a wonderful independent film revolution so less we can hope i think the second he starts mentioning himself there it sounds, sounds like sour grapes yeah yeah you're right i'm not saying his point's wrong however remove yourself from the context it doesn't sound like you're just like you're bitching basically it sounds like you're making a critical observation no because I guess maybe the biggest budget, I'm just looking down the list. I don't know what the budget was for um, Social Network. Um, Gone Girl makes a fortune. But do you reckon that's the biggest budget he's been given? Looking back, I mean, there's there's films that have bigger names, but I don't know what the budget would have been. Alien 3. <laughs> no, uh, she got he directed an Alien film. <laughs> seven, Fight Club, Panic. Seven, seven, I don't think, would have had a... No. Massive. Curious case of Benjamin Button. Probably on a pretty big budget. And he's directed uh, seven episodes of Mindhunter, which he's also a producer on. So, I mean, we could, we could, I mean, we can definitely just. Have, so, you reckon it's Gone Girl, right? I'm, Gen- I'm just, just, about just budget. Have a look. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, budget sixty-one mil for Gone Girl. Right. So, Mank maybe with Netflix. No, twenty-five and fucking hell, they made that cheap. Fair play. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, 90 mil. He didn't direct that, did he? He's a producer. Because he directed it here, bro. Okay. What did you say the budget was on Gone Girl? 61 mil. All right, so he had 65 for Zodiac, so that's already beaten it. So, um, there we go. Curious, curious case. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a curious case, Benjamin Button, mate. Uh, like, estimated between 150 and 167. And that was put literally all on CGI, you'd imagine? I don't know. Brad Pitt probably took home a pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, As did probably Kate Blanchett. Yeah. So there we are. I mean, he's had budget, but not. There was less of a budget on Joker, I think. Uh, there was, but it also made a lot more money. So yeah, you had your shot. I've got a bit on that. Yeah, this this is the cheapest film to ever make a billion. Um, I'll take you through the trivia. Um, there's not as much of it as there is. Um, as there was for uh, for Wall Street. So, um, Joaquin Phoenix called perfecting the Joker's laugh the toughest part of playing the character. Um, and he based his laugh on videos of people suffering from pathological laughter. Um, he sought to portray a character with which audiences could not identify. What do you think about his laugh in this? It's tough, isn't it? Because... It just pisses you off, to be honest. I understand, well, like the, anyone... point. I understand the point of it, but it's just... It's tough to do one that isn't going to be compared to another Joker. Yeah, there is that. I, I mean, his is his is very far away. It's his closer is, to the animated ones, is what he gets told. His is actually maniacal. Yeah. Uh, which, for the purpose of the character he's portraying in this <laughs> film, is it, it is is a compliment. But his is actually a maniacal laugh. So this is also the first R-rated movie to make a billion worldwide. Mm, um, the unrelatable thing. Yeah. Probably says more about me, but I was like, no, I could see it. Could made see sense. what, sorry? The, the descent into the madness. It made sense. I'm not saying I'm going on that yeah, yeah, intense no, go, I, but I, I was sort of like, this. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure unrelatable, uh, unrelated. He's obviously 
ill already. You find out he may or may not. It may not have to do with a massive head trauma he suffered as a child. Yeah, they allude to it, but you sort of see. No, I definitely have. There's some of the trivia relates to this actually. Um, so Phoenix was quite cagey during interviews at the Venice Film Festival when he was asked about siding with Arthur, which relates to what you just said here. Um, he told the press that any questions they might have about Joker will be left up to the audience to decide. He says the great joy of this film for the audience is that they get to decide for themselves what they think about his transformation. That's what I was attracted to. In most movies, certainly in genre movies, where there's a hero and a villain, the motivations of the character are clear. What I like most about this is that I was never certain what was motivating him. I have my own opinion. I think I know what it is for me, but I wouldn't want to impose on anyone else who hasn't seen the movie. Um, in September of 2019, Todd Phillips says that he wants comic book movie fans to know that there is no chance of Phoenix's villain and Robert Pattinson's Batman ever crossing that over on the big screen. Um, he says that However, doesn't mean that... he... Sorry, John, you, you go. So it doesn't mean that Pattinson won't ever face off with the Joker, it just won't be his version. Oh, it's going to go a different thing. They do. Yeah. They never intended it to make a sequel, but no. now, they're, now they're looking at it. Yeah, I've got a question for you as to how you think that'll go because i don't really see it but why genuinely i I don't know i don't know where you take it like it seemed it very much felt to me like a a one-off film and i think that was always their intention and i think you take away from some of the good that you did i mean i'm skipping ahead a bit but I don't think this is a rewatchable film. Like this, this was a tough rewatch for me because I, I've seen it now. I won't watch it again. No, and it because of that, I think it serves its purpose. Like, no, I, I get that. Do it you not being think... rewatchable for me didn't take away from how I viewed the film because from my first watch of it, I think that if you get it right, then the slow build is the means to an end, and it pays off perfectly. And I think they do a fairly good job of that in this case. I would don't see not, how you satisfy demand. Would you not demand want to see him... Do you, I don't... I, I, there is, I think there is a demand for it. For, first, I think the fact that Whacking Phoenix playing it. But would you not Would you not want to see more of him as the Joker? Because, I mean, yes, you, I you only see... see his character fights bad guys or fights other guys. Like I don't see how that works with this character. But the point being about the Joker in so many things is he doesn't. He's the, the clown prince. He doesn't. Hand to hand isn't his thing. He no, does this, that, and the other. In general, I don't see how. I, mean, I don't think Joaquin Phoenix would do it if. He oh, isn't. he he definitely will. No, I, I mean, mean I don't think he'd do it if he if he wasn't convinced that. Oh no, no, you're right. Was yeah. the right thing to do. He doesn't um, doesn't need to. But he said he said he couldn't stop once he finished filming. He couldn't stop thinking about the character. No, because. Before that, the reason he hasn't taken roles before and he's been offered roles in the Marvel and uh, DC universe before is that he didn't want to be tied in to one of these worlds and our sequels being churned out for the sake of it. Yeah. So, but I, I, I would be intrigued to see him as the joke. I mean, you see one scene, you you, you essentially, or well, you see two scenes. Yeah, yeah. Down, down the stairs, the subway, the the interview. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. I suppose you see the the escape, the escape, and the escape. You've got but the scene where he shoots the guy that gave him the gun, mm. stabs him. 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, One of the funniest scenes in the film. Yeah, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro had a clash during the earlier stage of filming. De Niro follows traditional rights of the, the script read-through, and, a pro- and that's a process that Phoenix dislikes. De Niro insisted they did it, and Phoenix half-heartedly accepted. Apparently, there's a lot more to this, um, where De Niro is on record saying, telling me the fucking actor, this is what we do. Um, <laughs> nice. So Phoenix then does do it. He mumbles his way through the lines, the story goes, but he does do it. Um, they say their disagreement was strictly professional. They sell their differences immediately. Um, and Phoenix says that De Niro is his favourite actor. But they didn't really speak outside of filming, and it was more of a respect than an actual friendship. Well, they obviously don't need to bring Bobby back for the sequel. No, they just view things differently, ain't like If you saw the two of them and you say you're on Millionaire, whatever, and mm. you were told one of these is a guy that likes to read the script through and do things traditionally, and the other is a guy that kind of likes to play it by ear, he doesn't want to get too involved beforehand. Would you not put it down as being the other way around? No. Is it maybe I'm too but into that... uh, doing <clears throat> Grandpa De Niro that I'm thinking about how he is? But that's only because I actually know that about Robert De Niro. That's quite a famous thing that he follows it. If you watch, um, like you could watch the there's documentaries and stuff about him. But there's yeah. one they did a, they did a special for the Irishman, regardless of your feelings of it. Um, where it's it's, it's only like 25 minutes on Netflix, obviously Netflix film. It's uh, Pesci, Pacino, Scorsese, um, uh, and De Niro, and they're talking about it. And he says it there. He's like, no, I tried. Every time I'm asking this question, I'm asking that question. How do I do this? What? Why do I do this sort of thing? You know, he's very much... He's also... So, I mean, the method acting thing and stuff, De Niro was famous for it, so he's always going to be to get um, inside the character and so on. Alternatively, the reasons that Phoenix says he does it the way he does is because he says once you read it through, you get comfortable, and he likes to use the anxiousness he has of not being too familiar with it when he does the scenes, particularly with a character like this, who is largely based on of his anxiousness and his awkwardness, and so that's the reason he doesn't like doing it. He says, "I suppose there's I don't a lot think of it's him skipping the work kind of thing and being lazy." So I maybe no, no. was intimating. But I suppose for De Niro, it must be strange because there's I don't know ninety percent plus of actors on this planet. You say jump, they say how high because you're yeah. De Niro. Joaquin Phoenix falls into the ten sort talk falls into the percentage where yeah. Just because you say it, you might be Robert De Niro, but I'm Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. do, you, do you know what I mean? It's not. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Each their each their own opinion. But in terms of one's career has obviously been a lot longer than the other. But at the end of the day, it is Joaquin Phoenix. It's. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not here to. I'm not here to be anyone's bitch. If you look at their, if you Google their two names together, and you look at a lot of the interviews since it's been filmed, you won't find one without De Niro now saying the immense respect he has for Joaquin Phoenix. And you'd imagine it probably is quite refreshing for him somewhat. Maybe. That someone is prepared, because it, it probably helps him lift his game up. Mm. I suppose the other, I, it sounds as though he just fucking hates him, but he's like, no, he's, <laughs> he's all right. Do you know what I mean? He's one of them where he's, he, 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 he every, just hates him. But there's someone just... into him saying, like, what great respect he has for him and all of this, which he doesn't have to go out and do. 
Sounds like a post-game fight where you've been beat, uh, a post-fight interview you've been beaten. He's like, yeah, he's a great fighter. Uh, a lot of respect for him. The stuff before was just build, was just build up. Joe was just trying to sell <laughs> tickets, and that, that's that's what it sounds like. Um, in terms of how this film could have gone, originally Warner Brothers wanted Martin Scorsese to make this film with Leonardo DiCaprio as Arthur and Robert De Niro to play Murray. Um, however, in the end, this proved to be logistically impossible as DiCaprio had already signed on to do Once Upon a Time. And uh, Scorsese was working on the Irishman. <clears throat> Does that work? I like it. I really like it. The only thing is, a lot more people get shot. Yeah. So you you could see Leo as the Joker. Not as good, but I no. also think, think, Scor- I think Scorsese. If you give Scorsese essentially give him Mean Streets New York again, like the seven seventies New York, he'll make you a fantastic film. So the way this is this story is told is that essentially like the discussions were there. It wasn't that Scorsese didn't want to do it. And then you hear every interview he does where he just shits on anything comic book related or anything fantasy related. But he's an old he's he's an old he's an old school he's an old school guy. You know, he's probably falls into the David Fincher camp where now that they're not maybe a bit further, someone's probably more likely to give Scorsese the, the type of money we're talking about, but he probably looks at it. Especially when he's he's been through a cinematic revolution himself. There was a time where he was one of the, he was a young guy. Yeah. Obviously, obviously he was up and an up and coming filmmaker. And he probably looks at it now and just goes, Well either A, where was this? Well like, where where was this he- when I wanted it? Uh, and again he's a really is I, I, I don't know why I dislike this word, but I do I do. Because I think I think it's said by people who are but typically very pretentious, so you'll have to forgive me. But he is genuinely an author, as in he is a he is a legitimate filmmaker. Yeah, that's what my he's he. If you searched, he's probably done an interview last week where he's saying, "I hate comic book movies. I don't understand the appeal of them. I, I'll never watch one." Yeah, this is based. This is based it. on, but this is based on a comic book character. But is this a comic book film? I don't think so. Which Stylist, why, stylistically, why vis- visually. Stylistically, visually, I mean, th- thematically, barring the character, it's atypical of any other. In fact, for in a lot of ways, it's like the antithesis of what you see in a comic book film. And I think, I think he, I, I really think Scorsese could do this. I don't think Todd Phillips does a bad job, by the way. No, no, he doesn't. Um, but you are talking about the, the script, man. So. Mm, you are talking about the man who is like it one one of my two favorite direct he's one of my two favorite directors scorsese or todd phillips scorsese also um alec baldwin was in talks to play thomas wayne he actually dropped out a day after being announced in the role it's just not important is it no but i can picture him yeah of course thomas you wayne in this film no of course um, but it's just not important is it just no so oh, we've already said joaquin phoenix has signed on to do a sequel um mm given you David Fincher's thoughts. Uh, this film is directed Todd Phillips' second crime film. I was going to ask you which the first one was, but we've already mentioned War Dogs earlier tonight. Is that Todd um, Phillips? Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, my man. Um, no, cameo, no cameo in this for him, is there? No, no. It may be, this seems like it um, is very much his uh, baby. Um, mm. And I, I don't think he was felt about it that way um the original script leak had a slightly different ending after arthur kills murray he escapes the studio and the riot occurs but in this version the rioters break into wayne manor 
dragging out Thomas and Martha Wayne and executing them. Bruce, while this occurs, hides from the rioters and is found by Alfred the next day. Arthur eludes the police for a few days until he shows up at the Wayne's funeral and is immediately seen. He's chased and tries to flee, but is hit by a car and captured by the police. Uh, again, then the film ends with him being locked up. Um, another alternate ending intended for the film had Arthur revealing to his therapist on Arkham that the joke he was thinking was that he had killed Thomas and Martha Wayne himself and left Bruce Wayne to cry before turning back and killing the boy. Um, the ending was cut because Bruce's death would mean that Batman will never come to exist in the film's universe. Hmm. Well, there is a, isn't, isn't it? It is Arthur Fluffy who does kill, kill him, right? In the comics. Um, so there's various different ones. One no, where, no, there is one where it is Arthur Fleck, right? Yes, yeah. Um, but it's usually uh, something to do with, like, in some it's just a clown like it is in this one, and some yeah. it's just some goons and the Joker it can be linked to him, all sorts. Um, another element from the leaked script didn't make the cut was the scene where Arthur originally told Sophie a story during a date explaining that he cut a slight smile onto his face as a child to scare off bullies. The scene would then get a callback at the end of the film, where Arthur, now as the Joker, would have used a glass shard from the car wreck to carve those wounds open again and spread them wider in front of the crowd. Instead, he paints a smile on his face with his own blood in the finished film. That would have been a cool scene. What, him slicing his mouth open? Yeah, in, in like the riot maybe in front of the police car yeah um on the playlist podcast in early 2021 directors quentin tarantino and edgar wright discussed the film and its social impact at one point tarantino states that the talk show scene towards the end of the film successfully manipulated the audience into overly disliking murray franklin to the point of being fine with Arthur fleck murdering him jesus I saw that trivia before I watched it back, and I did think it's quite fair. Like, at that point, you aren't sympathetic towards Murray, are you? No. No. Like, because he's kind of egging it on as Joker points out and says, Look, you brought me here to laugh at me. You're no better than everyone else. Yeah. I will say, so. <clears throat> I will say, however, that much should be. I know he's not mentally well, but he's not stupid. That, that part should have been obvious from the jump. Yeah. So, what were your overall thoughts on the film? It's all right. Like, I don't... My, so I, funny enough, I was, I was watching it last night. My sister pop, popped her head right around my door. And she was like, oh, what are you watching? I was like, oh, Joker. She's like, never seen it. You've seen it before? I was like, no. She's like, oh, it's amazing. Brilliant. Loved it. Thought it was fantastic. Me and my sister have different, different views and different tastes in a lot of things. Um, but... I was all oh, right, okay, um, but I just—I don't know. It was okay. It's slow to get going. I heard you kind of uh, acknowledge the critic review that said it's neither deserving of the controversy it stirred up, nor some of the praise it's received. Yeah, that's bang on. I remember, like, people were going wild about it, like the the controversy, like, oh, he's doing this and doing that. Yeah. I mean, there's not. I mean, the stabbing. Day. So he kills the three blokes, right? Two of them in self-defense. One of them is at the point yeah. that he shoots him. Is is just cold-blooded murder. Fine. Then stabs the guy. Um, 
and then shoots De Niro. Everyone went wild about that that film of him shooting the scene of him shooting De Niro. And I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think I'm overly I'm overly desensitized to anything, mate. But no, I, just, I don't understand. Spoke about it, and he said, if you inserted those three scenes into a John Wick film, everybody is saying that they're shocking mm-hmm. or anything like that. He says, if anything, it's kind of a commendation to what they've done previously in the film, that these scenes are designed to shock you because they're supposed to be a rare moment yeah. of something happening in the midst of the madness, which which is spot on. Yeah, I and the, in terms of the praise, I, d- I don't think it's... I don't, it's, not, it's not a bad film. It's, it's, it's not a bad film at all. Um, and the, the bit that says Wacking Feelings is the best part about it is 100% correct. Like, but I don't. I don't know. I thought it, it was good, and I'm not disappointed that I waited as long to watch it as I did. No, I think there's several things that play into it. I mean, the the, the Joker is um, statistically the most popular villain in American history. I can Anything see that. that comes out, the the ratings that it does, the the kind of metrics in terms of conversations and things like that. So there's going to be a proportion of hype that generates it to be either incredibly loved or hated regardless. Um, yeah. The, with the way it's done, I do think some people, and I liken it to The Revenant, although I liked one a lot more than the other, is done in a way where some people don't want to say they disliked it because people will tell them you didn't understand what you were watching. Maybe yeah. uh, it has to be all in your face for you to enjoy it and all these kinds of things when a bad film can be a bad film. I liked what was done. I came out of the cinema. I wasn't disappointed at all. Um, in fact, the way that it ends, you're quite wrapped up in the cinema in this, like the way that it unfolds, that the scene and you get the slow motion of him in the crowd that's rioting outside. I remember mm. thinking that looked incredible at the time. And so I came out being kind of blown away by it. And then I would hear the criticisms of it. And I don't actually disagree with necessarily the ones that weren't done for clickbait purposes. So I agree with everything you've said. The ones that are like, this is garbage, don't bother watching, nothing happens. I think... What do you miss? What would you be missing in this film? Do you know, I I think you're right. There are people... I I think this is one of those films where people people are told that they should like it, so they like it. And I don't don't think think that's necessarily a bad thing. What I was saying before. Yeah, it's uh, like, I think me and someone else have had this conversation. I'm not disparaging him, but people with Daniel Day-Lewis, he's a great actor, but people who say, oh, he's the best best actor of his lifetime. So I think, no, that's not true. But yeah, you're told he that does. He... We spoke about it and said, oh, you, right. you hear it enough, so you, he, you his stature is such that you yeah. don't question it. No. And I, I sort of think, I don't know what you miss with this film. It's not... The only bit that was... The bit that surprised me and the bit I hadn't worked out in terms of what he was imagining, because obviously he has the first... Yeah. Not hallucination, the first fantasy very early on in terms of him being yeah. in the audience and you work out of course he's not the only bit that i didn't see coming was the relationship with the single mum. yeah i, I um, when she was in the apartment it actually took me five or six seconds to work out that that's who it was i was like, oh shit. i think the trivia when you see it and you see that there were some iterations where she had a far bigger role makes sense yeah um, with this, I, I, sim- I have it similar to Venom, and it may even have been you that I had the conversation with, where I said I wasn't a big fan of the first one, it wasn't what I expected, and you or whoever it was I had the conversation with said, 
what what were you expecting from a Venom film? And then I don't really have an answer for that. It's I think it was tough. you. I think it was you and I, which is funny, really, because I've never seen the film, but I know enough about the character from your description to yeah. be like, yeah, that, that's that's sort of what it is. It's very tough to make a film about a villain because you need, or you, you're almost always going to have a beginning, middle, and end clear. And if you start out as a bad guy and you're just killing someone, or even if you just progressively get worse, your film's never going to end with just your villain turns to darkness, kills three people, and that's it. There needs to be a bit more to it. And if you're going the way of you're not having a clear Batman in this to kind of battle against, and you're not doing the Joker style of cartoon where he's been in some like bubbling acid and that's why his skin's so pale and he's got bright green hair and lipstick. Mm. I think for what Todd Phillips wanted to do, he obviously, I think he did a very good job of it. I think as a piece of filmmaking, I do think it's very good. I just don't think it's a particularly rewatchable film, which we've said before, so not all films are meant to be. No. Because a, a lot of people came out, and even people that didn't like the film said that his interpretation of the joke is brilliant. So it's hard for that to be the case and not like the film, though. I because think people that's... liked... People saw the Jared Leto version, and we know now from the Snyder Cut, it could have been a lot different. And I think they wanted the complete opposite of that. And that's pretty much what you got from this film. I think people mm. like feeling like grown-ups, don't they? Like... This is an adult Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Which is strange, actually, really, considering that the whole point was it was for children originally. And you mentioned relatability at, at the start, and I do agree with you. Because when, you, when you think about it, before it gets to the end, he's a guy that has mental health issues. He's looking for help. He wants help. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's downtrodden by society. He's I'm unsure mean, why some of these people get bigger breaks than he is when he feels they're not a nicer person than he is, they're not doing any more than him. They're fairly logical thoughts that a lot of people have at some point in their life when you look at someone else and you think, why does he deserve that? Which is why he's looking at those people on the train or why yeah. do I deserve to have this look? There's it a reason envy's happens. not to be religious, but there's a reason envy's one of the seven deadly sins, mate. It's a, it's a, natural, human, it's a, a natural human emotion and it is it's strange. I mean, you say he feels as though he's being he's, he's sort of that he's downtrodden. I mean, he is incredible. Yeah. He is incredibly isolated. Um, and I mean, he's told his bot the first you meet the first time you meet his boss. I like you, but a lot of people think you're weird. Yeah, yeah. The, the guys the guys are uncomfortable around you, you know. And he, he, the kids the kid the kids batter him for the sake of what a poor the poor fucker's trying to do his job. Yeah. The, you know, the laughing condition is what it is, but then he gets... The woman it, on the it, bus tells him not yeah. to bother a kid. Yeah, again, like something like... The kid's, kid's laughing and playing, having a, having, like, having a time. And yeah. Because he, he, it's odd, or it's unnatural, or it's what it is yeah. what it is. Oh, look, leave me alone. Like, as he's trying Ooh. to be nice, he just rejection is shoved into his face constantly. In his notebook, it says, the worst part of having a mental illness is people expect you to, beha- to behave as if you don't. And I saw that banded around on Twitter for months and months and months after this. So that obviously resonated with people. There's the point with the therapist where he says, you don't listen, do you? 
I don't think you ever really hear me. You just ask the same questions every week. How is your job? Are you having negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. Yeah. Look, again, I'm not saying that painting your face, painting your face on and going and going and killing yeah. the, way, the way to the way to address those situations. But the the unrelated, the, it not being relatable. I mean, pre him yeah. turning to a, to a murderer, I think. But he came out and said that he tried, he wanted to create a character that people couldn't relate to yet. The foundations of the character are, yeah. are as relatable a pro- as a joker you're ever going to see. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably the end the 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 end of the journey that he's, he tries to make unrelatable. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I I think I was just to say I was watching it and I. I didn't. I didn't know if it said more about me than than anything else. But as you, you can see it come to you see it come together. Yeah. So the bit the bit with his mum as well. You could see you can see it come together, and you're just like, well, this is a betrayal of everything that I hold. I hold true. Yeah. It's all well and good people telling you it, but when you see it empirically, it's oh, okay. Um, you can see see how it comes about. Do you do you think the film? hits as hard if it's not De Niro as Murray. Is there does that scene yeah. have the same gravitas if it's not De Niro being shot in the head? Well, because he's a recognizable face. Yeah, just that's De Niro. Like if, if that's a no name actor, does that scene still carry the same weight? I don't know. I'd say I'd say so. Like not for a moment did I think, oh he's just shot De Niro. Like do you know what I mean? I don't Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I think the scene is. I think it adds a bit more to it. Okay, fair enough. I think the scene is very much is very much not about De Niro. He's there. No, no. You, you need someone who can perform as an agitator. Joey says, "Joe, it's self pity. You're moaning. You're yeah. whining. Bloody blah. You don't know anything about me." Um, you need someone who can be str- like strong in that moment. But does it have to be De Niro? I don't. Or someone of that magnitude, if you will, or that that. I, I, almost of that iconic class. I don't, I don't yeah. think so, mate. I, for me personally, I don't. As long as you are there and you can be that agitator, someone who's got a strong voice, then I, I think you'd be fine. It is something that <clears throat> you largely feel sorry for him until he starts relating it to himself. So the moments he starts saying, "These people are treading on me. I've been trodden on by these people," and he's saying, "It's happened to me." That's when you start to kind of be a bit more disenfranchised with it. The second he starts to actually feel bad about his own circumstances, obviously that does correlate with him turning to madness. But you, you go off him a bit more when he starts to realise kind of how badly he's being treated. Mm. Um, there are the, also there are also moments of great disconnect in the film in terms of what his mental what his mental health allows him to see and not see so i'm not yeah. saying i again i will openly put my hands up and i've said this on pods before when we've we've breached it i'm probably not the guy to be having this conversation i'm not saying <laughs> that there are, are good days and bad days i am i'll be honest I haven't, I haven't got a fucking clue about mental health um but like there for someone who i don't know how to phrase this but for someone who's so lost for so long at so many points of the film the time as he becomes the joker his thought process is so incredibly clear. Yeah, it, it's disconnect. It's it's disconnected from the rest of the film, where he is muddled. He is angry. He struggles with this. He struggles with that. As soon as he makes that decision, like when he runs away from the police and he does this and he does that, yeah. he gives the he gives the interview. It's 
he says he's been freed. I think he says at some. Point. I was going to say it's. Pro- I was actually going to say it's probably closer to Bane than the Joker is at that point. Yeah. That no one cares who I was till I put on the mask. Do you, yeah, yeah. Do you know, it's it's all, almost almost that, and it's just it's a strange t- t- turnabout. Um, we've mentioned the rewatchability there. I don't think we need to say uh, too much with that. Um, mm. What's the I, I I did laugh um, at his knock knock joke. Um, just the way to, the way he delivers it. Mister um, Policeman, your son's been hit by a drunk driver. De Niro's face in that makes it even better as well. Um, you you messaged me yesterday. I was waiting to see. If you'd say it here, you said, um, is there not a way they can show his emotional state changing without going down a flight of stairs? Flight, sir. Yeah. Yeah, he walks down a lot of fucking steps. And each time something goes wrong, he's walking downstairs. I mean, it is is easy to do. It's a literal descent. Um, So I understand it, but it just, it's a little bit on the nose, shall we say. The clip was cool. Did you see the clip that went viral at the time where someone was filming out of their flat window, him um, dancing down the steps? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's quite cool to see. Actually, I'll link you after. Um, I don't Liverpool, know at what Liverpool, point you Liverpool, are in the Liverpool way. game. Yeah, that's why I haven't known. We, we won't be too much longer. We'll just do the scoring in a moment. Uh, appreciate you uh, doing it while it's on. Um, in terms of the best scene... Is there a stand-up one for you in this, or does it all kind of mould into one for you? No, it's the moment he kills Randall, and then, unfortunately, like, it sounds terrible, but when Gary goes to let him out of the apartment, and he's like, look, can you, Arthur, can you come and get the door for me, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's very good. Um, mine, mine would be him, him shooting De Niro, just the culmination of the film um, so far in, in how it's happened. Mm-hmm. Um the quotes we, we've gone through, uh, a lot of them there, kind of in the process. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? That's kind of the hot tub time machine moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there was a point in the film where I didn't know if the way they were doing this was they were actually going to say that like Thomas Wayne was his dad. But they obviously kind of hint that it could be and then just further fuel that he's mad. Saying him. I thought at one point they were going to go down the way of saying like that Thomas Wayne was actually his dad, but yeah. they just kind of toy with the idea, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange way to reveal that his mum's not quite what she seems. Oh, and then he smothers her for good measure. Yeah. Um, character development in this, do you think hits well with how the kind of slow burn at which they do it in comparison to Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, it makes it invests you in the character, and it does. It does. I, I'm not saying I think more or less of the film because of it, but it is slow, mate. It is. It is yeah, yeah. But it, it is done. It's a tough rewatch. Yeah, it is done to invest you in the character, because I think if you turn him into the yeah, Joker after great. ten minutes, you don't, you 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 don't care for it. No. Then because it becomes um, films and films and cartoons, etc., that we've seen all before. Yeah. If we uh, go to the scoring then, and we'll see uh, how we go here. Um, which film did you prefer? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Agreed. Um, rewatchability, Wolf of Wall Street, I assume. Yes. 
Uh, best moment slash scene. Um, do, 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 do. do you know what I mean? I don't actually know. I mean, we largely mentioned the uh, I'm not fucking leaving speech, which took a, a mind of its own and every transfer window we see these same things. That's got to be a highlight. If, if it's not the uh, Matthew McConaughey scene, which I know you've kind of shared your thoughts on, but... It might be that, you know. And that's not just because you've said it, but now that you have now that you have said it, it is that. Uh, it could could well be that. Um, it'd be that or... Whilst, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. It'd be that or the like you say the Robert De Niro interview. But I do like the scene with the with the killing Randall. It is funny. It's why it's probably not the best scene, but it's funny. See, it's the funniest moment in the film, which is why it's my favourite. The best so, best moment or scene I'll give to the De Niro interview across both films. Yeah, I'm going with the. Uh, I'm not fucking leaving, sir. So. Fair. I don't like my. I'm not sure on my choice there, but we we move. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the best quote across uh, the two films? Do you want to pick any of the 1,000 from War for Wall Street? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got him talking about his experience with uh, Margot Robbie. I, what, I, what I wrote down, actually, at the time was his... Um, the, year I, uh, the year I turned 26 was ahead of my own brokerage film. I made $49 million. Which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a billion a week. There's a moment in that in which you kind of feel you get what he means. And then I think you have to slap yourself and realize he's talking about he's disappointed out of 49 million, which is the mm. point, obviously. But I think it's just, it really caught my attention seeing it that time around. Um, what kind of hooker takes credit cards? Uh, a rich one. How the fuck else are you supposed to do this job? Cocaine and hookers, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wrote that down as well. If anyone here thinks I'm superficial, materialistic, go get a job at fucking McDonald's because that's where you fucking belong. Yeah. Let me tell you something. There's no nobility in poverty. I've been a rich man and I've been a poor man and I choose rich every fucking time. So at least mm-hmm. as a rich man, when I have to face my problems, I show up in the back of the limo wearing a $2,000 suit and a $40,000 gold fucking watch. That might be my favourite, to be fair, other than I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm never eating a Benny Hanner again. I don't care whose birthday it is. So, uh, one, it's one from Wolf of Wall Street, you say? Yeah, uh, I, I can, there's quite a few. Who is the MVP? Jordan Belfort. Isn't that begrudgingly? Mm, yeah, but he is. Yeah, he, he's my MVP too. Um, I think we said best side character, haven't we, when we put him in the... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he, uh, alongside the Ezekiel tier. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Donny. It's Jonah Hill. Which film has the better character development? The Joker. I agree. Most dramatic scene? The most dramatic scene is where he shoots Murray. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Or even... The scene after that to be fair it's quite pretty dramatic when he goes to um get the uh, medical records and you've got the kind of standoff and then him reading the uh, reports and seeing all these things that have happened to him as he uh, laughs along mm. which yeah. film has the better soundtrack uh the joker gary glitter not in- gary glitter not included i think i'm gonna go wolf of wall street Really? 
I'm, I'm doing that just from memory, so I'm just having a quick look at it just to see if I can back that up. But when I wrote down beforehand, um, it, is, it is a Scorsese film, so there is every chance. Yeah, I'm just looking down now. Yeah, it definitely is. You sure? Yeah, I'm thinking about how the, the music alongside you, Wall Street. I don't. You don't. You don't. You, you, don't you, you don't sound sure. Is my point. Oh no, no. I was just uh, looking down the list. I was just having a read along. Um, no, definitely. I think um, there's obviously songs like you, you referenced in, in Joker, but the experience of the music accompanying things, uh, Mrs. Robinson, probably the uh, standout for me in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, but yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is, is my pick there. Um, That's actually on my Spotify because of this because of this film. Or Mrs. Robinson. That version of it, yeah, by the Lemonheads. I've my I've got the the song from American Pie. It's in American Pie, then? Yeah, it is, yeah. It's hmm. in the first or the second. Okay. Um, I think it's the it's the end actually it might be the end of the third. I think it's the end of the third when they go past the hot tub um at the wedding and uh, Finch is in there with Stifler's mum. Okay. Originality. Wolf of Wall Street. I'm going to go Joker. Okay. Obviously, we've seen the Joker before, as we referenced, but I think it's a more original take on Joker than there's a there's other films, kind of the the rise and fall and the Scorsese is. Yeah, I mean, there's literally Wall Street, but yeah, but no, no, I, I understand. Fair. Uh, bigger impact, Wolf of Wall Street, for me. See, I think culturally it is. Yeah, I, I think if you ask 100 people if you see Wolf of Wall Street and 100 people if you've seen Joker, I think more have seen Wolf of Wall Street and more Fair could enough. talk to you about Wolf of Wall Street. I think that's the key part. I think you probably yeah. get roughly, you probably get the same answer um, for both, but I think more would, ha- more would have more to say about Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, best opening scene? Wolf of Wall Street. Agreed. Uh, best ending? The Joker. So agree. Uh, best chemistry. Wolf of Wall Street. Also agree. By its very nature, if the Joker had chemistry with people and had people around him, he probably doesn't turn into the Joker according to the film. No. <laughs> so that does that's eight three in favour of the Wolf of Wall Street. So the Wolf of Wall Street is the first film to make its way into the uh, bracket, which we'll get to, and by the time we're on to the actual bracket. Um, We'll, we'll we'll be way down the line, so uh, I may even give that a rewatch before we uh, do it next time, and we'll have a, a different way of going about approaching the film. But that does go through to the next round. We won't do the points to consider for this week. Um, I'm conscious of uh, we're doing it at a different time of the week. Um, next week, then, we have uh, from the action thriller subgenre, The Raid 2 versus Uncut Gems. So we love the rail on this podcast and we love Adam Sandler. So in theory, a perfect mix. And you've not seen either film, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, you've been on. I've not seen either. There we go. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that develops. Maybe we'll have TK or maybe we'll have Sean on. Who knows, in all honesty. But um, we'll you can almost gu- you can guarantee that we'll be here. Yes, you can absolutely guarantee that. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. 
Goodbye.